This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 3. Those skills of navigating what it's like to operate in that professional environment is much different than just being a great evaluator and assessor of movement or strength or writer of programming. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Art of Coaching podcast. I'm your host, Coach Scott Caulfield. And with me today is Tim Pillow, Senior Strength and Conditioning Coach at the USOC. Tim, how's it going today? Scott, doing great. Thank you so much. Glad you're here. Uh, how was your trip to Nashville? Trip to Nashville was great. Cool. Thank you so much for asking. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, you know, People are going to be able to read your bio on on the website and the podcast notes, but you know, you're working with Olympic athletes. Uh, tell us how great of a job this is for you. I love my job. It's it's a job, and I think I like I love it for a variety of reasons. And most often, we would go down the road route the road or the route of thinking it's because of the athletes that I work with, which. Are, I work with a lot of amazing athletes, great people, uh, but one of the things that in my role, I'm very fortunate to work alongside of other really good high-performance service-providing professionals, and and I work with coaches that are very growth and growth-oriented uh, and high-performance mindset. Uh, and what that does is it really helps all of us. We we all kind of bond together on this concept of excellence and that's none that's not anything different i think than a lot of other uh facets or other realms uh but the athletes that we have you know what we're what we're going toward and uh, how we go about it might be a little bit different just because the volume of training that we have the 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 seasons that we have, the travel that we deal with, um, and then also the big dance at, every, at the end of every four years, the, the process, those journeys become can become very intense, uh, but they can be very fun uh, in trying to learn and manage um, what that looks like. And all, there's t- just a ton of relationships along the way. So that's, I don't really have a, a solid answer for you on that one, but it, it, that's what I'll give you. No, that's great. What about, um, you know, talked about a lot of these kind of different challenges or whatnot. What, what are some of the other unique challenges of being in the Olympic side of things versus a, another, uh, you know, college or professional team sport? You know, I think once with the national teams uh, and within the Olympic programs, there's a, quite a few challenges. And, and one major difference between training and working in an environment with the national team programs versus a college program versus a pro program or high school program is we are not like a college program you know we're not student athletes you know we're not students first athletes second uh, which means obviously it's great I hope it stays that way forever and then you know in the pro world their job to be a professional athlete but then there's also PPAs, these um, associations that, the players associations that have some insight into how and who and where things go and how things come about, rules, regulations, bylaws, etc. 
I bring that up because with the national team, we don't have anything that could restrict us from training, from uh, from just I would say sheer volume, <clears throat> and that's a big difference when I have conversations with people that are in different disciplines, whether you're in the MLS or the NFL, or the NHL, and. I hear of coaches challenge being volume. They, you know, the, the volume is just high, and how we're how they're trying to quantify the volume, how they're able, what are they doing with their programs based upon the volume of training? Uh, those who are playing, those who aren't, those who are injured, um, etc. But overall, um, our national team athletes are running volumes, training volumes of up to thirty-five hours a week of physical activity. And you think about in college, you got the NC2A 20-hour rule, and that in and of itself, that's just not that's not training. That's other things as well. That's being with a coach. So the stresses, the things that we have to be aware of, and how much we have to adapt and, and be good learners as a result of that volume is is pretty important. That's cool. So. Um, Kind of coming off that too, are there some, you know, to, to get to this level and be able to understand all this and work with all these high level athletes, are there some special skills or experience that I need if I'm an aspiring coach and I want to be Tim Pelot someday? First thing I'll tell you, it's not Tim Pelot. Let's, let's not go third person on us. <laughs> I, I think uh, to, to, to be able to operate in a high performance setting at a high level, at an elite level setting, uh, you, need to, you need to be very good in, in the science that you're trying to practice, the science that you're trying to prescribe, uh, the way that you're evaluating and what you're evaluating, just to have a very rational, analytical mind around that. But a big component to operating in some of these elite worlds is that you have to not only operate with the athletes, you have to operate with these other elite providers of service. The, the, comp, the, the factor of being a great teammate is, is really important and a lot of coaches spend a lot of time with their athletes about team cohesion and being a good teammate and, and trying to you know rally around that creating situations and games or workouts to improve some of that camaraderie and, and we're in this together and maybe battling and putting in some adversity but when you think about it as a prof, as a professional service provider or a professional strength and conditioning coach at an, any sort of elite level you're also having somebody that is just as good in another respective field and so the ability to to work well with others uh, to use an Ernie Reimer example you got to be able to play well in the sandbox you know if you can't you know if, if we're all in the sandbox together and one kid's throwing sand and the other one's not it's going to eventually not go so well so you got to be a good teammate um, you got to be a good neighbor uh, you have to respect everybody that's in there that and what their intentions are whether they are something that you agree with or whether they're not. Uh, you got to know what battles that you want to kind of take on and which battles you need to just let go. And I think those skills of navigating what it's like to operate in that professional environment is much different than just being a great evaluator and assessor of movement or strength or writer of programming. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a really big part of it. 
Very cool. So then, are there some uh, are there some common uh, myths or misconceptions about training Olympic athletes that that you would uh, like to address? Anything that you've heard and you're like, you know, you're crazy. Well, yeah, I think the, f- the first one is it's actually most common is oh, they, you know, you guys just compete every four years, and I th- <laughs> and I kind of laugh about that. Um, and that just tells me that that person doesn't know enough about the Olympic movement and what that is. Uh, and many people are, are, are somewhat surprised when they have to find out that each one of our athletes or teams has to qualify for the Olympic Games. I mean, I think NBC does a good job where they broadcast the gymnastics Olympic trials. They'll broadcast the swimming trials and the track and field trials. So the general public in the United States has an idea of how those, how those processes work. But when it comes to team sport, I don't think people are as aware of how that works. And so there's points that you have to accrue over the course of time. And that time is four years. And so there's a certain amount of points limited per year that you can actually get. And so it's, it's not just, Hey, you're already in the games. Let's just train for four years. It's we have to train hard for these very key competitions and we have to do very well in those competitions to do two things. One is to get us points for the Olympic uh, point total or we need to qualify or we need to win this tournament to qualify for a tournament that does give Olympic qualification points. And so we are we're training. I mean, every year is really, really important and it's really intense. Um, so cool. And I apologize if there's any background noise, we are actually here in Nashville, as we mentioned at the 2017 coaches conference. So we appreciate you stepping uh, away from all the action to do this podcast with us. So apologize for any, uh, banging, clanging going on people in the background, but it's, it's bumping here. This is the largest attended ever history of the NSCA coaching event that we've ever put on. Hey, so, this is exciting. Yeah. I'm really excited to be here. This is, this is going to be a great event and excited uh, for, and well, tell us about, tell us about your topic. What are you, what are you talking about? <sighs> well, I'm, I'm excited about my topic and I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous because I think my, my topic is, uh, adapting, uh, or adopting adaptive strategies for warming up, something along those lines. And, and, I could talk about warm up for three days straight. And so this literally is a warm up to a warm up. And so that's at the hardest, the hardest thing for me is trying to be able to, as, as for everybody that does presentation, you only have a certain amount of time. You want to try to fit the right stuff in. And, um, I, I, if anybody's listening, I, my only hope for that, my presentation is, is to spark a thought, to bring an idea, to make, uh, maybe bring something that you might've not thought about before, but then hopefully follow up if you have more questions. I think that's, that's definitely not going to be the most end all, but it, I'm excited about it. We're going to bring some stories up from the Olympic games from Rio. We got some stuff that I want to share and that'll be fun. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great point too, about following up uh and i know that you're very open and willing to talking to other people and talking to new people how you have a you know social media presence how do you recommend that uh you know people go about building their network then that's something that uh has <clears throat> been a skill that has been, been trying to refine and build over years and uh you know, we all have our own strength shops. We, we have groups of people that we 
will rely on for information. We have people that we seek out for counsel, uh, whether they're our close friends that we went to school with and we're still, you know, I, my, my old grad school buddies or my old high school, my college buddies, you know, that I went to, I sat in Kinesis 101 with or something, you know, and you'll have, or you'll have people that you do your GAs with and then they end up doing, they're staying in the field and they're going somewhere else. And so usually kind of have these little, these little pockets of people. But the biggest, the biggest thing that I can encourage anybody to do is just have a little courage and, and be willing to, to go introduce yourself to somebody, go, go and say hi and, and ask for their time. If it's, I can buy you a coffee. Can I, can I, take you to breakfast if it's at a conference if, if you hear somebody that says something that you like can I can I follow up with you in an email and then you kind of have to if you're not willing to start then you'll never have it you gotta you gotta start that process but it's really really powerful uh, for me personally uh, social media is really interesting I think it's very very awesome but I also think it's the devil at the same time but it uh, I, I think I say it's awesome because it's really allowed me to uh, be aware of who's out there in the professional world. And it's also allowed me to have a direct line to be able to get a hold of them. So I, so I can have a question or, Hey, I'm going to be in Barcelona in March or where are you at in Barcelona? Can I come? Hey, what's just to chat. And that's been a really powerful tool, uh, to be able to get, to expand my network. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, it's really, it's really a really important thing to do. And it's super easy. Everybody's so accessible. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. So, and I've found this, you know, people who are comfortable in their coaching practice are pretty willing to share, but is it really that easy for, you know, sort of younger coaches listening and just said, no, you just hit them up. You say that you're going to be in town and ask if you can come by. Is it pretty much that easy? I think, I think it can be. Um, obviously if you're in a position, uh, a stable position and you're reaching out to a, a colleague it's probably going to be easier. And if you're a new student, it might not be as easy, but my recommendation would be is, is, um, similar to how taking on different internships or assistantships, this idea of putting in your time, I don't want to say putting in your time, but you have to really be genuine in the way that, that you're trying to get information from people. If it's completely a one one-way street or one-sided conversation where you're just approaching somebody to just just soak up information from them, which that might be the intention. But how are you also going to be able to help that individual? How can you make it reciprocal? And if it's, if I'll take it, I will buy you a breakfast. You know, I'll spend $30 on you or whatever it may be so that I can at least start having a conversation. And you know what? I might not know you at all, <laughs> but we can start talking about the weather. We can start talking about, Hey, we're at this conference. What, who are your friends here? You know, who can you give me? And you can start with a list of questions as a student say, if this is where I'm at and this is where I want to go, do you have any feedback for me that you could, that you could share with me to help, you know, these, these action plans I think are really important. Um, because that's at the end of the day, you're, if, if you're a student, if we're going back to just the idea of a student and trying to, to move up, you need, it's about finding clarity. It's about finding direction and, and then you need to set an action plan in place. And I think if you can get one or two or three or four people and you can run through all of those answers and questions and you put them together and you can find some similarities, you say, well, that's probably what I need to be doing. And I think that's really helpful. 
Yeah, that's great. I definitely, <clears throat> definitely agree that you've got to have some kind of idea of what you're going to talk to this person about uh, that you're seeking out, you know, but kind of building off that too. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, being in a high performance uh, setting and different working with all these different coaches. You mentioned our buddy, Dr. Reimer, uh, you know, when you're, uh, working in your proverbial strength shop, you know, what's the, uh, who are some of these other coaches that have influenced you and, uh, you know, had an impact on your career in, any, at any point during your career? Maybe it was when you first started. Um, can I go back a little bit more to the last question? Then I'll sure come back can. and jump, sure jump on this one. So I just wanted to finish up on the idea of the, the younger strength coach going and, and seeking out uh, relationships. I think there's two things that, are really important. One is as a young strength coach, we typically, and I did this so I can, I'm just going to speak of myself and it might resonate with others. But when I was younger, I didn't want people to see uh, the areas that I wasn't very good at. I wanted, I need, I felt like I needed to establish myself to get so that people would want to talk to me to, so that I would have some sort of credibility. Um, and I think if I could give a younger strength coach advice is that you get more credibility when you go into a conversation and say that I'm not good at this and I'm not good at this and I'm not good at this because the older guy, the person who's been doing it for 10 or 15 years, he already knows that. And if you come in a conversation and you are already the so-called expert immediately, I'm not going to personally, I'm not going to give you my time and I'm not going to want to even share anything in any information with you because you, it's there's a lack of self-awareness we have to really be aware of who we are and what we know and we have to be comfortable with that and we have to be vulnerable in those conversations and if we can't be that's, that's a really big growth moment for, for professionals so I think those are really important we can talk about the expert mindset later if you'd like but going back to your question about um, me and uh, the people that I've kind of grown up or grown up in my profession around I really rely heavily on a strong network of mine and I get into conversations literally every single day we there's a there's a great group of people that I that we have and in and, and, uh, and we ha I have a, a group of strength staff within our Olympic program <clears throat> we have seven USOC SNC's SNC's with us we also have an NGB uh, SNC staff, or not staff, but NGB SNC network as well, which it makes up about 10 or 15 uh, as another group of SNCs. And we communicate quite frequently, discuss topics, and we share information. Um, but as I as I kind of made my way up through, I, I think I was I was just really thirsty. I was really passionate about learning. Uh, I was the guy who was in the library at midnight to two o'clock in the morning because they had journals on the walls. You, you know, it's not like this nowadays you can get everything electronic. This, you go to the card catalog and you, you know, kind of look, Oh, but I, I've done that one time and I knew exactly where the journals are. I didn't know what article I wanted to find, but I was the, the journal of exercise and sports, sports medicine is the ACSM journal. So fired up about that journal, and then the NSCA journal, um, I became aware of that, and I just open them and I just start flipping through and just reading research 
for hours. Uh, and I do that a couple, couple nights a week in college. My professors, they hated it because when I would not get an answer correct on my test, I'd go back and be like, well, let me uh, go make a copy of what I read last night and you can, to justify what this is all yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But he actually gave me an or He turned it around because I was able to do that. So, oh, nice work. So Thanks. people, people who have influenced me, um, I've had some great people. John Carlock was an influencer for me. He's was with the USOC for some time. He's with a military group now. Patrick Borkowski. Um, he's also he's uh, the head of high performance over at the Navy SEALs in Coronado, but he was with the USOC for a number of years. Uh, Lauren Landau is actually another mentor, mentor of mine. I worked with him for a couple of years up in Denver. Uh, uh, spent some time with Lauren Seagrave as well. And that's that was great. I mean, just a phenomenal thinker uh, and just a lot of wisdom, coaching wisdom. And then I've had some business mentors who have really helped shape this idea of 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 development. I see well, we, right here in this world, we talk about coaching development and coaching athletes, but it's about coaching people. And he taught me a lot about how to navigate work with go through you know more managerial director type of coaching mentoring and that's been that's been super helpful and that's applied that all the time in every every aspect of my job that's awesome a lot of good a lot of good coaches and happy to say i recognize a few of those names uh, of your mentors so that's exciting to know some of those you mentioned you know you're speaking at the conference here you've spoken before for us you've mentioned the journals you know i mean okay start off here how long have you been uh an nsca member and then tell us a little bit too you know how how has the nsca you know influenced you or helped you throughout your career you know what other involvement maybe have you had with the organization Oh, so I started doing strength and conditioning in 2000, and I was doing it voluntarily at our school, college, uh, just on the side, shadowing, not really knowing what I was doing. I was taking exercise, phys classes, kines classes, and all those kind of things, um, and sat down for my, got my CSCS in 2002, I think, maybe it's 2001, I can't remember. Um, and I understand, I understand the test has changed since then, but which probably for a good reason. Uh, but yeah, I took it then. And then I've been in, in, I don't know, I think I've gone to every national conference between 2002 and 2010, maybe every single year. Uh, and it's been good. And I, I'll tell you, the, the one thing that conferences, I think, do, the NSA does a nice job is putting on an event that allows someone to come and share some information, but then providing opportunities where people can come together, they can congregate, they can talk, they can discuss, they can share. And, and you can get some of these sidebar conversations going. Uh, if, if you're interested in it, you can find it if, if you're looking for it. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's where I think that's where most people find a huge value in it. And that's where the relationships become developed. Uh, it's good to be exposed to information that somebody's going to talk about at a, at a conference, at a clinic, because it's, it's just good awareness and good insight and good education. But then the ability to, after that, to have a back and forth conversation, how do I apply like this? I heard you say it like that. If you were in my shoes and you know what you know, would you talk about that differently or the same? 
And that really, I think, then it bonds the information to that to that professional. It also begins to uh, ingrain some relationships between people. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was when I was uh, new to the NSCA, I you know either met certain people or uh, who were involved and told me, Hey, you know, come out, come hang out with us after this. And and I I think honestly, we do a lot better job now of setting up opportunities for people to network within, uh, the receptions and stuff. And, you know, most of the ones when I was and and you too, because we were kind of both getting started around the same time, even though we didn't know each other at the time where, uh, a lot of it was just after hours at the, at the old watering hole. Um, but I think we're doing a great job kind of, you know, getting more organized social events for people to attend and it's, it's looking really good. Um, I'm going to jump back to the conference and obviously this is going to be after the fact that people hear this, but who are you looking forward to listening to, uh, this week at the conference? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk real quick on, on this conversation around socializing and intelligence and sharing. One of the, uh, the definitions, if you go to like dictionary.com and you go to conference and symposium and, and word for word in, in ancient Greece and Rome, a convivial meeting, usually following a dinner for drinking and intellectual conversation. Now I'm not advocating everybody to go out and go get crazy, right. but when you can have a situation like an expo hall that you guys are able to have some, you know, offer some free libation to, to loosen people up. So just to start getting people to have some great conversation. I think it's just wonderful. And that's, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, so this conference, man, I tell you, I went through my, I made a schedule through the NSC app is actually really cool. The, the event app you guys, cool it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and I've got to go back through because let's see on my schedule, I'll let you know what I got. Ooh, we got uh, uh, Peter Bomarito. We got Ernie Reimer. We've got Tina Murray. I've got Michael Naparowski. I've got Duncan French. Uh, can't see Brian Mann because for some reason he and I are put at the same time. Had to uh, happen. Had to happen to somebody. Yep, yep. We got Clyde Brewer and Kevin Cronin. Uh, these are also just some really solid people here. Uh, and then I've got uh, Joe from uh, Michigan State. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Joe Eisenman. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward. To, there's just a lot. And the great thing is, I, I think you had mentioned this, there's the population at this event is really, really large. And I like the coaches conference. I was talking with our uh, director of our sports medicine program is here as well. He and I are rooming together. Super excited that he's here because it's just cool. good to yeah. be able to do this together. Um, and we were talking, uh, and the, the number of people that will be here are going to be coaches and not to say if it would, it really helps have good conversation when you have people that are actually doing the type of work that people are talking about in these presentations and they can apply it. And then the people in the room can actually have a, a connection around some of that information much more quickly, a common, uh, just a common, uh, common bond maybe. I'm sure. For. All right. I got a couple more questions here wrapping up. Um, coaching profession as a whole, is there something if, if there isn't, then, no problem. But is there something that you think is the biggest challenge? And if 
if you can, are able to determine, recognize something that you see as a challenge, do you think the NS, do you think the NSCA could help and how could it help? Just give me 10 seconds on this. No problem. This is a tough one. This is a tough well, one. Well, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a really big question and I, I think I need the time. I think I know what I want to say, but I just don't know. And I'm just going to start, so we'll see how it goes. But I think when it comes... So, can you repeat it one more time? Yeah. Um, if you see a challenge in the coaching profession, strength conditioning profession, uh, what, is, what is that? Or, you know, pick one. And, and how could the NSCA help if you think okay. the NSCA could help in some way, shape, or form? Got it. Well... You, you, you know that I'm a big vision mission guy and if if and part of that is you have to have your mission statement you have to have some core values and uh, and you have to kind of know where you want to go and I, I, I use I mean that's super basic business 101 but it's about having a, an intention and then setting some lot some actions up that will allow you to receive the intention like training we, we train, we train in a way to elicit some sort of adaptation. We don't just train for, for the sake of training. And so when I think about coaching challenges, when I think about the NSCA, I think one of the biggest challenges that, that we face nowadays, this is what I'm seeing, is that there's so much information that's out there that's available, whether it's podcasts like we're doing here, which is, again, a great um, avenue for information. Uh, the the social media highways are, are just flooded with people who are just willing to share information, which is fantastic. And if all I needed to do was just be on the receiving end of all this, and all I did was receive it for hours every single day and digest it, I'm actually getting a lot of content. There's a lot of people talking about deep integrated science, deep integrated neurophysiology, some sort of, uh, I'm reading a book now on, on neurochemistry and, and, and brain adaptation and stuff. And so, and actually I went back and found some of these people that are writing these books and they got all their stuff all over social media. And I'm like, wow, this is just so much information. So I think our biggest thing is not that we don't have enough information. I think our biggest thing is that we don't have enough people who know how to apply that information. Uh, I think we need to coach people how to coach. Uh, how to have a conversation on a phone versus text me. Uh, I think we need to uh, help pr professionals know, uh, help them be a better coach and not be an internet coach. And, and the other thing, because there's so much digestion of this content, there's this, and it's, it may happen indirectly and it might not be a conscious factor but what happens is people believe that they now know they are the smartest guy in the room they are now the expert because i've read this and i've been i've been reading this for months i'm sitting in, and i you know maybe two or three years into an snc role and they can gobble up all that great goodness from of content but uh then what happens is that they there's the expert they put the expert coat on and they wear the expert hat and i think the biggest thing that we need to do is we need to get out from from being this concept of everybody needs to be an expert not seeking this concept of i want to be an expert one day 
Because all that does, when we, when we tell ourselves that we're experts, it tells us that we know what we know. And typically what happens when that, when we have that perspective, it, it, it closes a little bit of a door as if we're not willing to take any more information in because I know that already. Yeah. And so for, for young up and comings or anybody, just be great learners. We got to be great learners. We've got to learn all the time. And the more that you learn, you're, you, you're going to know more. But as soon as we start going down this expert road, we lose the ability to get better and we lose humility and we lose just, uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot that that can wrap itself up into. I've had a couple conversations over the past couple months where there's just young SNCs that are just coming in real hot. Like, Oh, I know this and I know that, I know this. And I, I, I appreciate it and I value it, but, um, it's tough because after you've you know been doing something for two or three years, and then if you know if you're if I'm now going into my 17th year into this into this field, there's so many things that and I, I saw myself there too, you know, and so it's it's try I don't know that that the the evolution I think is really important in understanding what those phases those life cycles look like in the profession, uh, but yeah, that's the one thing is just. Don't, and being married, being married to your to the things that you study, I think. In my talk to, to on Friday, I'm going to talk about the lenses that we look that we look through, and we all look through what we do with a different lens. And uh, I just think that we can we can find a lens, and then we we have to find another lens. We have to find another lens. But if you're only looking through one lens. The, per, the angle that you're able to get, the perspective that you're going to get on whatever topic you're looking at, whatever, whatever you're looking at, whether it's on a, on an athletic field, whether it's in a weight room, whether it's within an interdepartmental meeting is going to limit you. So we need more lenses. We need more methods and we can't be married to, uh, we can't be married to many things. You just got to be able to have a huge toolbox. Yeah, it's such a it's such an ongoing, never ending learning process. I think that's the, the last analogy I was, I was talking with uh, Harry Kramer, who is a um, a business executive. I was taking a, a leadership course now, and after his talk that he did, I went and talked to him, and one of the he had a great analogy. He says it's really important. You know, skin divers are amazing. They can go down, they can hold their breath. And they can see things that not anybody else can see because they can go down, they can check out some clams, they might get some pearls. But if they stay down there too long, they're dead. So you have to come up for air sometimes. So that was a really great analogy because the things that we think about, our science, our coaching, our practice, we can go into deep, we can go into the deep stuff. But if you never come back up, you're going to die. Right. And to me, that makes a lot That's of sense. It's a great analogy. Great analogy. Uh, you mentioned a book you're reading. Uh, how about any recommendations for anyone listening right now? Uh, is, well, is there, a, is there a book that every strength coach could should read, one, and then give us a couple other recommendations? I love reading books. Um, and I have my, my wall of books that, I, that I, I tend to go back through quite often. And I, I believe what you, you can take two people that have gone through a school, that have come through some sort of program and have learned you know, the, the mechanics of this and how to look at this and how to prescribe this programming. And I think we're very passionate about 
that aspect. I think a lot of strength coaches get into the field because they're passionate about those things. But I believe that that is maybe 30 to 40% of what really happens. And uh, even at the level that we're at, I mean, we're measuring every single factor and every single thing that we do. And the ability to communicate, the ability to lead is not taught in school. And if all you, all you can fall back on is five sets of five or, uh, you know, training volume or technique, you're, 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 you're a tactician or you're a tech, you're a tactitioner or a tactician. Uh, you're not a tactitioner, you know, this idea of becoming more of a strategic person who can help lead, build, identify weaknesses, have conversations, sometimes robust conversations. So for me, I, I think books would, the books that I always recommend to our assistants, they're not SNC books. They're not training methodology books. They're books about how to help people be better people. And some great books are, um, John, John C. Maxwell has a, has a phenomenal series of books. One of the books that we have all of our interns read is, uh, it's called, uh, what is it? It's, uh, it's, it's, a. I have to get back with you. It's a leadership book. It's, uh, how to, how to, it's something along the lines of making yourself a better leader, uh, developing the leader within you. I think that's it. And all it does is it just asks questions because I just don't think that we get people asking us enough questions. We, we want to know all the answers, but nobody's actually asking us questions. And, and, and we, when we're asked those questions, hopefully we're processing that information and then hopefully that makes us potentially change a strategy or uh, gives us a better perspective. So that's a good book. The other one is, um, the other one, I'll give you another one is, um, uh, there's another John Maxwell book and it's, uh, everybody communicates, but few connect. I read it in my book last night that I was reading about, uh, <laughs> we're just talking about brain function, but this analogy that they used was the, the doorbell. A pizza man shows up at the house and he pushes the doorbell and he's pushing the doorbell and he's sitting there waiting and the, peop- the, the family's home but the doorbell doesn't work so he keeps pushing the doorbell keeps pushing the doorbell and there's nobody coming to the door to pick up the pizza well how many times are you going to keep pushing the doorbell versus stop this isn't really working anymore just because I push the doorbell doesn't mean it's actually going to work we assume things work when we do stuff but if we don't become a good learner and learn that the doorbell's not working and then maybe I need to knock, you know, I think we get stuck on if we do this, this automatically happens and we assume things happen when we initiate some sort of stimulus. Um, I don't know. And it's just a really great analogy. That was kind of fun. Well, no, I like the non, I like the non SNC books too. Uh, I think that's great to point out that you really have to be diverse in this field. Um, all right, a couple fun questions, kind of wrapping up here. If you could uh, take someone out to beers or dinner or buy them a coffee, uh, give me a couple people, living, dead, or fictional, mm. that you would like to have a conversation with, uh, have a have a coffee or a beer oh, with. Man. Well, I wouldn't want to take Jesus Christ out with a beer. I don't think that would be good. Maybe some wine sacks or something. <laughs> no, I, I think that would be pretty amazing. I'm, 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 uh, I'm a believer, and that would be awesome to be able to to ask some questions there, I think. Um, that might be not what you're thinking of, but that would be important to me. Um, other than that, I think for me, 
I don't, I don't, to answer your question, here's what I'll do is I'm not, I won't tell you specific people, but I'll tell you the type of people that I would want to. And that would cool. that'd be a little bit better. Okay. So I'd like to have somebody who's been in the field longer than I have 10, 15 years longer. Um, somebody who's been in some sort of director role so that when I'm talking to them, they're in the airplane at 30,000 feet and they're looking down at me where I am in my place and they can understand that layout better than I can because they've been and they see it. Uh, so I would, I would uh, that would be the case. Uh, I'd be searching for mentors. I'd ask questions. Uh, of, but the type of person that I'd want to talk to it would have to be somebody who's very humble, somebody who's growth oriented. Because the last person that I want to do is I, would, I don't want to go pick out a guy thinking that he's in this great job and then I meet him and he is very uh, stuck in a way or very stale or burned by the field and he's not very passionate about helping and growing, not a good leader. So for me, I've been wanting to search out great leaders. Cool. And then I've got another one uh, kind of asking you to be limited here but you're you're a new up-and-coming coach you've got a brand new strength and conditioning program you've got an extremely limited budget you can only pick a few items i'm not gonna say let's say three to five what are what are you gonna be your must-haves well i'd come back with a couple more questions how many athletes do i have to am i working with let's say an ncaa setting you've got a a few hundred athletes a few hundred athletes and i can only get a couple pieces of equipment because you can go you can go two ways with that you could go i'm gonna service all of them and give them a 60 percent. you know what i could do or i could service maybe not so many of them and give them a really you know what they should be doing you know so that kind of you it's an interesting way to look at it because um, I could buy a bunch of bands and I can throw them out on a field and in a court and, and not really do much weight training and we could do some stuff but was that really what I want to do? Um, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that uh, a platform with a rack with some bumpers is really important because you can do a lot of things. Um, my sports medicine program, my sports medicine staff when I came on board, they they only saw the rack as a place where you can squat and do power cleans. And after they started seeing all the multi-directional movements that we started integrating, some acceleration, some deceleration, multi-planar movements in those situations, they just, whoa, okay. So it just depends on how creative you can get. So I would say rack, platform, bumpers, I want a cable system, some sort of cross-training system, a cross-trainer or the multi-arm or just some sort of cable system for some transient work would be great and a dumbbell rack and I'm set to go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if I have back injuries, I might want to throw a leg press in there. But yeah, we can keep going. We can keep going. Yeah. (laughs) I only said three. Stop. Uh, All right. Uh, Like I said, you're on social media. How do people find you? Uh, You can um, uh, email my email address is timothy.polo, and that's P E L O T at usoc.org. Um, you can reach me there. Uh, I'll give you my phone number, 619-947-9652. Text messages are always fun. Probably won't pick up the phone that much if I'm on the floor or, with, I'm, or I'm, if I'm with my family. Um, but then uh, I do. I'm on social media. I have a, a Twitter account. It's T-P-E-L-O-T-7. And uh, I think that's about it. So, 
All right. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time today. Looking forward to hearing you speak on Friday too. I'm looking forward to it. I'm pretty fired up. I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate for the opportunity. Cool. Thanks a Thank lot. You. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.